G'day folks, how you going? Welcome to Lethal Mullet on the FPN, live on fpnet.popping.com. And tonight we've got a special episode looking at the recent release of, of course, Ridley Scott, or should we say Sir Ridley Scott's Napoleon, all about, of course, Napoleon Bonaparte. And, uh, you know, if you're looking for historical epics, he's usually the man to go for, isn't he? These massive, huge, uh, long uh, epics usually. And this one is no slouch, it's long. <laughs> and apparently we're getting a, an even longer cut when it comes to uh, the release in January on Apple TV. So if you're an Apple subscriber or somebody that uh, at least has access to that, you'll be able to see that and possibly on Netflix as well. Now, having said that, Ridley Scott over the last few years has been someone who's given us all sorts of different films, you know, going back as far as Prometheus in 2012, uh, its own sequel, which is, you know, something that was a real mixed bag and, and definitely one that was rallying cry to the fans as well as trying to push his own AI agenda. You know, again, that was something the fans went, no, you're not sure if we like this or not. He's done The Last Duel more recently, which again, is, you know, you're looking back into the past and the history. And the big one, of course, this one, Napoleon, which um, I honestly think is a bit of a return to form, which we'll talk about very, very soon. Now, you can catch this show, as we said, on fpnetpod.podbean.com. Bit of a mouthful, but there it is. Uh, you can catch it on, of course, Facebook on the Phantom Podcast Network pages there too. We do air it there as well. Uh, and you can catch me, The Lethal Mullet, on all socials at The Lethal Mullet. And uh, we've got some really interesting episodes coming up, folks. We've got one about Emilio Estevez and Charlie Sheen's epic comedy, along with, of course, the great Keith David. That is, of course, Men at Work, which is a real, you know, uh, comedy, a bit of action, uh, but also a bit tongue-in-cheek uh, era of the 80s where we got these, you know, this great, was well, actually 1990, I believe, if I remember right, that film. And it was one that hot on the heels of Young Guns, and it was a real brat-packed movie. You even got some of the, the team from Young Guns in that movie as well. So if you came up in that period, um, you know, especially growing up around Emilio's films, we got that, we got Free Jack, Young Guns 2, obviously, uh, films like Flatliners that had um, you know similar groups uh, of the Brat Pack in it as well. This is one of those films which really um, gets along there too. So we're going to be looking at that. Then we're going to be looking at the 1989 epic Lonesome Dove, which I've been re-watching and actually going back and re-reading the series. I do it once a year. So I read Comanche Moon. Uh, we also read Lonesome Dove and, of course, Streets of Loretto. Now, there's other books, but those three for me are a perfect trilogy. But as far as the, um, the miniseries goes, it is fantastic. And I tell you what, if you haven't seen Comanche Moon, which is, of course, set uh, some, what, would be close to 20 years before, I guess, uh, Lonesome Dove, you get to see Steve Zahn do a, an amazing portrayal of uh, Robert Duvall. You know, he still makes it his own as well, but it is that take of, uh, you know, that, that period too. Uh, a younger, more optimistic uh, Gus McRae, obviously Texas Ranger, alongside Woodrow F. Call. It was played by Tommy Lee Jones in the original. And, of course, Carl Urban takes over. It's quite a stoic performance. Carl's always interesting as a performer, and I think he does uh, quite an excellent job in this as well. All right. So, Napoleon, 2023 epic historical drama. Obviously, it is um, produced and directed by the amazing Ridley Scott and uh, written this time by David Scarpa, based on uh, Napoleon Bonaparte. I would say loosely to some extent because there's, there's some liberties taken. 
But I think, um, you know, this is a movie, you know, past, um, you know, when he was doing The Last Duel in 2020, he really wanted to get this out then. Of course, uh, Joaquin Phoenix, hot off the, um, you know, the, the tales of doing Joker and some other great uh, work. I've always been a big fan of uh, Joaquin's work. I honestly think out of him and River, the late River Phoenix, his, um, his uh, unfortunately late brother, uh, I think Joaquin, he's turned out to be a lot more... I think diverse as an actor in his portrayals, but also interesting and entertaining. Uh, we don't really know where River would have gone, but River, I think, um, you know, had he lived, would have had um, a similar path as an actor, but also a different at the same time. So Joaquin in this role, uh, I think, you know, the one thing that really sold it is, first of all, Ridley had worked with him before, and he had played an emperor before, of course. Uh, we're talking about Gladiator back in 2000 and uh, now 23 years later we've got him back in this so uh, it premiered November 14 this year and uh, was released all over the world in a limited run in cinemas uh, it's not a huge run um, but it is uh, produced by Columbia Pictures and Apple Original Films Apple's really getting into cinema big here guys so um, something that's interesting and of course uh, through Sony Pictures so Apple TV uh, is something, or Apple TV Plus, what you want to call it, is definitely the one that they really want to uh, drive this on. I guess it's something that's going to help the network grow, etc. too. Okay, and um, obviously this is, uh, you know, a huge production. Music by Martin Phipps. We've got um, release date, uh, as we said. Running time is about 157 minutes, so just shy of um, three hours, but still works at a brisk pace. It slows down here and there, but we'll talk about that soon. The budget estimated between 130 and 200 million dollars. Box office so far only 85 million. So it's not setting the world on fire, and I think a lot of that has to do with that it's not a superhero film or a Star Wars film. I mean, we've talked about this before: is that it's going to be very hard for original films, even big ones like this, to get the sort of numbers that they used to do uh, in the current climate. Uh, you know, I think the generations that we have previous to this. Uh, didn't have the massive superhero films that um, you know would have had over the last 20 years and it's become a real thing you know that's it's an event to go to the cinema to see these whether it's um, Captain America the Batman or Flash or any of these films uh, recently the one is the uh, the Marvels film that's uh, going out there too uh, apparently very good film uh, but again it's uh, I think there's a lot of superhero burnout right now you know it's it's everywhere so let's have a quick uh, refresher on the um the story of napoleon so starts out in the middle of or the actually the peak of the french revolution in 1793 and napoleon is uh, a young army officer very much uh trying to come up through the ranks and he watches uh, mary antoinette being beheaded you know there's big guillotine scenes quite a interesting lead in and again again gruesome as well lead into the film and uh, this is where we have a revolutionary leader by the name of Paul Barris, who's basically um, has Napoleon take on the siege of Toulon. And for this is we get this first real feel of his military genius and um, how he's good at strategies, that, that sort of thing too. So from here, he basically storms this um, British-run era and um, storms the city and turns all the ships away using his skills of artillery and uh, more. Again, knowing how to use tools well, but also using them, employing them in a way that's incredibly efficient and stuff like that too. So, which is a big part of how to use, obviously, military might. 
Napoleon is able also to um, take um, this, uh, where we get the Maximilian Rothiers, and the, who's taken down and executed. And this is known as the Reign of Terror, this part. So the French leaders, including Napoleon, um, try to bring back a stable country. Uh, employing artillery, uh, Napoleon then takes on the Royal uh, Insurrection, which was in 1795. Now, this, this is really, in some ways, if you look at it as a layman, this is Napoleon's greatest hits. <laughs> um, you know, and I'm talking about that figuratively, not as in the, you know, the way he's using the military here. Uh, it really is, you know, a, almost like a dot point form of his um, life. I mean, you could really break this into a trilogy if you wanted to do it right. But I think Ridley's catching here kind of the, the right pace that you're getting a feel of what it was like for um, this officer to coming up the ranks. So from here, uh, Napoleon meets Josephine, um, and this played by, of course, um, the very beautiful and um, talented Vanessa Kirby. And uh, this becomes obviously the love of his life, as, um, as said in all, of course, the, uh, the letters that he um, had, and of course, the, the history itself. They had a, um, a wild sex life, but they, they had no children. There was no bearing of children. And in Egypt, he prevails at the Battle of the Pyramids, where the, this is a quite a beautiful scene too, because as we're starting to see him gather not only uh, notoriety and, and fame, uh, at the same time, he's really starting to see himself as a leader, a uh, political leader, uh, possibly higher than that as well uh, when it comes to how he leads these armies. And it's beautifully shot. And obviously we get to see that the pyramids, all that sort of stuff in the background. But a great scene here where he gets to see um, the mummy of one of the great uh, leaders. And uh, there's sort of this meeting of minds. You, you can see Phoenix's portrayal here really step up a notch too. Uh, from here, the, um, the leader's criticising for basically uh, leaving his troops here, where he hears about an affair that's happening um, uh, with Josephine, and he races back. Um, and of course, he condemns everything else, all the, the poor leadership that's happening in France at the time, and um, uh, basically joins a trio of people that are going to do a coup d'etat uh, so that he becomes first consul of France. So he's crowned emperor of the French people uh, by the Pope, and this is in 1804. And this huge, um, obviously um, expansive operatic um, crowning. And this is where we start to see some of the pl other players, like um, the foreign minister going in and suggesting things like, obviously, Austria having an alliance through them. Uh, the Austrians wanted to power play that too. But them having an emperor sort of uh, puts him alongside, obviously, um, those of Austria and, of course, the Tsar, Alexander I of Russia as well. Now, a lot of them just turned down France flat, but this starts to set up, of course, what will be battles to come. Now, from here... Napoleon tries something where his mother um, basically sets up him to get fall pregnant with a, um, another woman, one of the mistresses. And this is where we start to see that, um, unfortunately, Josephine is infertile. And um, uh, when, yeah, he's able to literally have a baby with another lady of this. So he divorces her in uh, 1810. And this is basically when we have um, them fall out and... Um, if anything, it kind of strengthens his love for this woman because he never really, truly leaves her and uh, really wants to keep things happening. Napoleon then marries Mary Louise of Austria and they have a son about a year afterwards as well. So this is, this is where basically we get to see that he's starting to spread his um, emperor powers, if you like, and also trying to sort of uh, 
lay, lay a seed for the future of his people as well. In 1812, we get to see Napoleon then take on Russia. And this is where we have some of the most um, beautifully shot scenes, but also some that um, show that his might and, of course, his army starting to fall apart. Just like the Germans in World War II, uh, they go into, of course, um, Russia, not knowing exactly what's going to happen against the Cossack forces there. And, of course, the Cossacks fight in a guerrilla style, which really wears down his army. And by the time they get to uh, the towns and the cities, you get to find there's nobody left in there. Everybody has left the cities. So as he goes through, he goes through every place. Then the people actually burn their own city down, forcing, of course, the French to uh, leave and retreat. So we have some beautiful scenes here. But again, this is where Napoleon refuses to believe that the people have actually burnt down their cities. But that's how much they love it. From here, uh, when they find that all empty and set aflame, Napoleon retreats. And ha having lost so many men, uh, everyone against them, Napoleon is forced to abdicate and is taken to the Isle of Elba in, of course, exile. This is his first island that he goes in exile to. Again, a place that's um, apparently quite beautiful, but at the same time, one that he starts to plan his next steps for getting back into power. So... From here, in 1815, he was heard that Josephine is not well. And this is kind of spurns him on to want to escape the island and, of course, return to France. So, having been forced into where he was, and um, he tries to get there and uh, get in time to see his love. But, unfortunately, she dies. And she dies before he arrives. This is where King Louis um, sends the 5th Regiment to stop Napoleon. And we have this great scene where we get to see... Uh, Napoleon's forces, which is small at the time, start to grow. As he stands in front of his former comrades in arms and says, if you think this is wrong, you can shoot me down. And of course, every single one of them not only turns their weapon away from him, but joins him. And this is when, of course, Napoleon rises back to power. And we have the epic Battle of Waterloo. So he'd amassed more and more troops and confronted the British army. And this was being led, of course, by Duke of Wellington. And there's a real, in some ways, respect for each other, but also, you know, the Duke of Wellington really turns his nose at uh, what's going on here with the French and um, the rest of the forces. The French cavalry charges are completely repulsed by the British infantry. And this is by use of the different squares and stuff that they do. And, of course, the way things laid out. If you want to see some of this stuff, you can actually see it in Sharps. Uh, rifle series, of course, by Bernard Cornwall, which, of course, has Sean Bean. And if you get the audio dramas, folks, you can actually get those on Spotify if you have the premium, and they're read by Sean Bean. That's right, Sean Bean. So, and, of course, Napoleon is really getting quite desperate at this, and he urges his reigning soldiers to do a massive rush against the um, British. But, of course, we've got the Prussian um, Marshal Blucher, also arrives to um, take uh, reinforce Wellington, and the French are completely broken. Napoleon retreats and he salutes Wellington. From here, Napoleon is exiled yet again, and this is to St. Helena. This is the last place he is taken to, and this is where he will live out the remainder of his days. It's in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, and we get to um, see him in this um, iteration of his um, adaptation, where he's basically uh, bantering with ch uh, children and um, talking to the people there, and he's writing his memoirs. And this would become a bestseller and presenting to uh, listeners a version of history that he uh, was always right. <laughs> um, but again, uh, when you look at the history books, St. Helena was a British, um, uh, had a uh, high fort on a, 
much higher um, old volcanic um, mountain. And that looked over the cities of St. Helena where they had um, Napoleon staying. So he was free to roam, but at the end of the day, anyone could have taken him out from where they were uh, when it comes to the British forces. So uh, he had it pretty pampered uh, last days. Napoleon died in 19, uh, sorry, 1821, and this is um, uh, we heard the sign of Josephine beckoning him to join again in the film too. So what's interesting is, you know, we get to see uh, a portrayal that's, you know, I think, you know, it's, it's, a, bit, it's a bit all over the place, but knowing uh, Joaquin's um, had quite a bit of involvement in rewriting and writing to a way that really would strengthen his um, resolve and look, you know, it, it's quite good. Story-wise, I think it's enough for the layman that doesn't know that much about Napoleon. All right, so story, I'd give at least a three out of five alone. I think, you know, the, the real telling is going to be in a few months' time when we get to see it on Apple TV, this four-hour cut or whatever it is. So Joaquin Phoenix playing, of course, the Emperor of the French, Napoleon Bonaparte. Vanessa Kirby, who does a fantastic performance as Empress uh, Josephine. And really, we get to see her through all the different um, times. And obviously, you know, she's really not in love with Napoleon. She's using him for what's needed. And I think that's the, the big part of it. Tahar Rahim plays Paul Barris, who's a politician, head of the directory of the French uh, Revolution. Again, somebody is playing... I think a little bit more than just one side of the equation here when it comes to um, getting everything that he needs. We also, Matthew Needham is Lucien Bonaparte, brother of Napoleon in a lot of these scenes, really well done in that. John Hollingworth is Marshal Ney. Um, and he's the bravest of the brave, um, as Napoleon calls him in this. Uh, you got Yusuf Kakur as Marshal Davout, uh, which is one of the fine commanders of Napoleon. Sinead Cusack as uh, Leticia Bonaparte, of course, mother of Napoleon. Phil Cornwall as Sanson the Barreau, the executioner. And he's the one that uh, guillotined uh, Louis, King of France. Ian McNeese, yes, the Baron Vladimir Harkonnen from June is in this. And of course, he plays uh, Louis, the King of France. Uh, we've got Rupert Everett as Arthur Wellesley, Duke of Wellington. Uh, and he does quite a good job in this. I think. Um, you know, um, Rupert's an interesting act, always has been, but um, in this, he plays it, um, you know, off Joaquin's performance, even though they don't have really a lot of scenes together really well. Catherine Walker as Mary Antoinette. Paul Rees as Tally Arendt, uh, the leading diplomat of France. Marc Bonner as Jean Andoche Junot, a general and Napoleon commander of the French invasion of Portugal. Now, Marc Bonner, for those that don't know, is actually in Space 1999, the audio drama series uh, which you can get now and I think they've done three releases so far and of course he's the lead in that and uh, does a fantastic job well, quite a fan of um, Mark Bonner's work so huge shout out to him as well all right so a lot of the others yeah there's not a lot um, that are known outside that too so the development of this goes right back to the same day as uh, The Last Jewel uh, was coming out and they'd wrap filming and he announced that yeah Napoleon's the next thing he wanted to do and this is where he was basically putting a whole bunch of different um, scripts together at the time. And the script had been around since about, um, I think, 2017 or something like that. The, the director had a collaborator by the name of David Scarpa who'd worked on uh, All the Money in the World with him. So the idea is the working title was derived from Bonaparte's quote, every French soldier carries a marshal's baton in their knapsack. Hmm. Interesting. And that's basically where they wanted to go with this too, was that uh, with... Joaquin Phoenix coming in, he knew you are going to get something that's a bit gritty, a bit eccentric, but also a bit on the nose, you know. It's something that Phoenix does well is we get to see, you know, um, every side of the apple, if you like. 
And uh, of course, uh, even though they'd worked together, Scott was really taken away by how good the Joker was in 2019. And having him alongside would make something very, very interesting. And in 2021, Apple Studios announced their commitment to finance the film. And of course, they're off and racing. Uh, the last dual actress, Jodie Cormor, was reportedly the first choice for Josephine, but things didn't line up. So, of course, then we got Vanessa Kirby. Um, and, of course, from this, too, we've got some interesting stuff, like, of course, um, the production itself starting in February 2022. And um, they filmed six major battle sequences. Uh, unlike the 1970s, uh, where they had Waterloo, which is another film that focused on a single battle, we get a number of battles. And so Napoleon was shot... Uh, in such a way that we get all those different uh, battles together. Filming took place in Stowe House, Buckinghamshire, West Wycombe Park, Buckinghamshire, Blenheim Place, Oxfordshire, Petworth House, West Sussex, uh, Borton House, Northamptonshire, and of course the old uh, Royal Naval College, Greenwich, London as well. And they're beautiful locations where they are too. It was also shot in Malta for a few weeks, and Fort Roskelly and Calcara was transformed into the siege of Toulon. Uh, and of course, the desert area of Muzuga in Morocco stood in for Egypt, and the execution of Mary Antoinette was done in Peperparo, which is, sorry, uh, quite interesting too. So, you know, you've got a variety of different locals that they used for this uh, locales, and they're shot uh, beautifully. I mean, the and that plus, of course, the costume work in this really takes you back. I mean, you're talking about a guy that did the, the duelist. So he's got an eye for detail. Uh, he's an art director. You know what you're doing. And of course, uh, apparently... Ridley on this film, uh, of course, the storyboards again. Those Ridley Grams that were the court too. So, how does it rank up? Well, I think this is probably one of his most complete films, even though I don't think it's his best. But story-wise, film-wise, and just performance-wise, he's got more out of, I think, Phoenix than we've seen in a lot of the other leads that we've had in his films in a long time. I think Adam Driver's work on The Last Jewel is quite good as well but definitely having the input of phoenix in this has made it a larger affair this film gets a three out of five on of course the hallenbach scale here at the lethal mullet podcast so folks go and check it out while it's out there but i think i i will definitely be moving this more to a five out of five i think when the apple tv cut comes if we know ridley can pull off something just like kingdom of heaven um, the two-disc version of that, that was just a beautiful and probably his um, most complete film as well. All that more, of course, on the Little Muller podcast when it comes. And, of course, don't forget to check out this week's episode as we get back to, of course, original episodes with, of course, Men at Work. We'll catch you then.